Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Dr. Tammy Chang about how female physicians can prevent burnout, stress, and exhaustion. This is part of PSQH's Patient Safety Awareness Week activities, and this episode is sponsored by Gojo, the makers of Purell, Nuance, PDC, and the Inner Society Accreditation Commission. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Dr. Tammy Chang, author of the new book, Boundaries for Women Physicians, Love Your Life and Career in Medicine, which is out, uh, came out February 3rd. Uh, Dr. Chang, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, wanted to get started uh, by just having you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself uh, and about the book. Oh, sure. I'm a, uh, I am a practicing pediatric hematologist oncologist, so that's my uh, day job. I do that half the time. And then the other half of the time uh, in my day job, I'm medical director of provider wellness. So so this whole co- topic of burnout and patient safety and wellness is is absolutely near near and dear to my heart every single day. Um, and then outside of work, I, I have my own coaching practice. I, I mostly work with women physicians who really want to rise into leadership. Mm-hmm. And I am the co-founder of Pink Code MD, which is a large platform that we, I founded with my Brown Medical School classmate, Louisa Duran, to really support uh, women physicians in their careers and personal lives. So I um, have a couple other roles. I do a lot with the American Medical Women's Association. I'm their director of their leadership development program for women physicians. So I'm obviously very passionate about promoting and supporting women. Um, and then I wrote this new book that comes out or has already come out by the time this is airing. Uh, so I guess tell me, you know, sort of what was the uh, idea behind doing the book, and and you know, what do you, what do you hope uh, uh, it'll it'll be able to do for for women physicians? Oh sure, I I wrote it because I I personally have not unlike many of us who are in this physician um, or provider burnout wellness space, I I have my own severe burnout story, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm so passionate about this, and I'm I'm very open. It's honestly, it's 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 so top front and center right now in healthcare and in the news, right? Mm-hmm. With everything we're dealing with in the pandemic, and so I, it, it wasn't that long ago. It was about three years ago, so I was about five, six years out of training by that point, and I, I hit rock bottom, severely burnt out. I was actually suicidal, so I was one of those statistics. One in five physicians actually consider suicide, and yet we don't talk about it widely in our field, and uh, I. I at that point took a, a leave of absence. I got a lot of help. I asked. I finally got help. <laughs> I didn't think I could get help until then. I was scared to because I was worried it would um, really ruin my my reputation as a physician, or and or I could lose my job. And so I I took that leave of absence. I got so much help during that period of time. Of course, I I got lots of therapy, but I also discovered coaching, which I didn't know what that was. Honestly, that period of time in my life. And it honestly changed my life so much so that when I came back to work, I, I came back, I, I was able to come back and, and love practicing, taking care of kids again. Like I, I, that's my deep, deep passion. That's why I got into this in the beginning from, from when I, since I was a teenager. And um, I then went through multiple coaching certifications and learned and came to understand through all that inner, deep inner work And it was tough, deep inner work that really the reason why I struggled so much and why I hit such rock bottom was that I didn't know what boundaries were. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'd really honestly never been exposed to the concept until I really had to come back from severe burnout and and, um, almost suicide. And so 
and then it came to recognize because I then I started working with a lot of women physicians, right? By that point, I had co-founded Pink Code MD. I was starting to coach a lot of other women. I, of course, was reconnecting with my my female friends from all different um, phases of of training, and recognizing a recurring theme, a recurring theme between all of us, and how very giving and hardworking we all were and how burnt out we all were and how we just felt this never ending need to please and to serve others. And it really became clear to me through all that, that what was missing was this, this whole concept of boundaries, which I think um, has to start from within. And so that was, that was the, uh, it actually all started when I, I just wrote a little op-ed piece uh, about boundaries because I was thinking about it mm-hmm. and it went viral. And I was so surprised. I wasn't expecting it to hit such a nerve with the women physician community, but I got, I mean, it just, there were so many messages about, wow, that really resonated for me. And it really made me think about, yeah, there's something to this topic, right? There's a reason why it's resonating so much. And that, that was the spark for why I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write a book because then I can spread this message even further for others and hopefully help as many women as possible out there. And how big of a problem would you say burnout is for female physicians obviously it's you know like you said we you know we've talked about it a lot over the last few years and especially with the pandemic has sort of amplified things but you know from a female perspective you know how is it sort of hit even harder oh yeah i mean that's become the focus of so much of the work i do and and there was actually a very excellent article that just came out in harvard business review uh, just a few weeks ago about why women are quitting medicine and so we know that, and I didn't know all this data until I burnt out and came back. And which is so interesting because I've been in medicine for, you know, since I was a teenager nonstop in this world. And mm-hmm. yet it was the first time I'd ever heard of this data. So we know that women physicians are 60% higher risk of burnout and emotional exhaustion than male physicians. And 40% of women physicians are actually either quitting or cutting back. So going part-time within six years of finishing their training. So there's something to that. And we also know that women physicians are up to a 400% higher risk of dying by suicide than women in the general population. Wow. And wow. I know, and that's been, that was published 2005. And it's like hush hush, hmm. right? It, it's not something I'd ever heard about. I was, I was in medical school in 2005, had never heard of that. So these are things that are finally surfacing. I'm, I'm so deeply grateful for the Lorna Breen family um, Corey and Jennifer Feist. I don't know if you're familiar with Laura, Dr. Laura Breen's story. No. Um, really prominent and really talented New York. Um, I think she was NYC, NYU um, ER physician who actually took her own life near the beginning of the pandemic. And her, um, her sister and her brother-in-law started a foundation in her honor. And they have truly stepped up and made it their mission to change the culture of medicine to where we are really truly speaking out about the stigma around mental illness, mental health, and seeking help and ex- accepting help as physicians because we need it. But there's so much stigma around it. It's, it's the stigma is so much even greater than for the general population. And uh, and all the work that they are doing, they've they actually got um, legislation passed through the Senate and the House of Representatives to support an act. I mean, they are. They have really, truly made it their life's work. So I'm grateful to get to be part of that movement together with them as well. That's excellent. Um, And how has the pandemic made things even worse just in terms of 
burnout and those those feelings that were already probably there, you know, prior uh, to March 2020. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's actually been a lot of data that's come out of the pandemic and there continues to be more and more, right? Because we're now hitting the two year anniversary of all when this began to impact our lives in the United States or worldwide, especially. Um, but I, I mean, it's impacting women more significantly than men. So um, men, there's this one statistic from one study. It was last year, so I bet there's going to be newer data soon. But men with children versus women with children, men were five times more likely to get promoted than a, than a woman with children between the ages of five and 18. Jeez. Which is kind of, it's like, it's already hard enough to get promoted as a woman. I know nothing, can, you know, whatever, but it's just one example, right? Mm. I think it's really helpful to look at data because yeah. then it doesn't, it's not about feelings. It's not about our opinion. It's like, well, this is what we're seeing, right? And what are we going to do about it? And there was actually one statistic last year in the pandemic that the number of women, and this is out, not just women physicians, but the number of women who have le who had left the workforce left the number of women working equivalent to about that the numbers that we had in the 1980s. Oh, geez. It's, it's women are and in general, and there's there's a lot of data showing this too, that in general, women, even though we might have the same work and jobs as our male counterparts, and when we go home, we disproportionately take on the home duties and the, the child care family right. duties. So when push comes to shove, it's the woman who typically takes the, the career hit to be able to take care of the family at home. And, you know, and that's, and like we, I think we also mentioned, you know, just that whole morale, uh, you know, workforce morale has been difficult enough as it is for everybody. But then you add in, you know, sort of these additional pressures on, on women uh, makes it that much worse. Um, and now you're, you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, boundaries, I, I guess, talk, talk a little bit about how, how that works and how the, how female physicians can set boundaries and, and, you know, I guess sort of, uh, build up some, some barriers against these pressures. I, I don't thank you so much. That's a great question. And I like to think of it not necessarily as barriers, but it's like building a muscle right mm -hmm. or, or exercising a muscle it's a it's a skill we've not used much because it didn't the concept didn't exist until the 1980s it wasn't really publicly widespread until um uh the henry cloud and townsend um cloud and townsend's book actually came out in the 1990s about boundaries so it's not a concept any of us grew up with or, or it was necessarily modeled for us and so uh it it's not until we're adults that we're starting to try to incorporate some of these ideas and concepts and skills so what i i typically start to do with women is to really break it down because it's an overwhelming to think about how do we even start to think about this concept for women physicians in particular, and this is a big generalization, but there's a really, there's sort of two overarching themes. One is this very strong sense of responsibility that I got to do all this, it's my responsibility, and it all rolls to me, right? It, it depends on me. And the reality is that's also how we're trained in medicine. So it's reinforced through years of medical school as definitely as interns and residents and senior residents and then fellows. And then we're become attendings and where we're responsible for everyone below us, right? So this, this sense of responsibility runs deep. Um, so there's that sense. And then there's also a very strong 
characteristic, especially in women physicians and just high achieving. I think high achieving anyone, but especially high achieving women is the sense of perfectionism. You could always do better. It could always be better. It again comes back to that really high achieving right. trait that honestly, people who go through medicine have to have. To, it's so competitive to get into medical school and then you, it's competitive while you're in there and try to get into the best training programs, et cetera. So it's just, it's just part of the entire that world. And so when I talk with women about how to begin to break down some of these, these, these traits and then set some healthy boundaries, it's typically along those two lines of taking on too much and having too much being our responsibility. And then that of always striving to do better and things never being good enough. And so when I talk about boundaries, I, what often for a lot of people, when we think about boundaries, a lot of other women, they think it involves outside stuff, like other people doing things to us or doing things to, you know, making us do something. Mm -hmm. But I, what I try to reframe for everyone is that ultimately, and it doesn't matter if we're male or female here or, or what gender, it doesn't matter what gender, um, that boundaries have to start with us. And they have to start from the inside out. And by that, I mean, we have to recognize really who we are and what we stand for, our own personal values, our own personal non-negotiables, right? Our own purpose on the inside. And when we are aligned with that, and we really are crystal clear on what that means to us, it actually then becomes much easier to set boundaries because you go, okay, these are my top five core values right here. Mm -hmm. And is the situation or whatever's happening, is it honoring my values? Am I responding to this out of a sense of a responsibility or b trying to be a plus all the time by being a perfectionist and, and then looking at it through that lens. And so, that's where I like to start with for most people, because that's kind of a new concept for most of us. Um, is it a generational thing as well? Sort of that pressure to, you know, especially as a physician to be perfect and to, you know, the workday doesn't end until, you know, everything gets done. And, uh, you know, cause it seems sort of like, you know, the older generation kind of drilled that into, you know, into everybody that, you know, work comes first and then, you know, then your life comes, you know, after, especially for physicians, it seems, you know, um, that's just sort of driven, you know, you can't just take, you know, you can't take uh, some time off for yourself. You've got to, you know, worry about everybody else first. Is, is that kind of, you know, sort of a thing that sort of uh, you know, newer generations are starting to rebel against a little bit? I hope so, <laughs> because I, I do think that's what has to change. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm, I'm really lucky because I'm kind of straddling two generations. I'm, you know, I'm 41, so I'm kind of like the people who came before me and I've been trained by, some have started to retire, but I, I've, I see both generations, right? Mm -hmm. And I can, I, I actually started my residency training just shortly after the whole duty hours shifted the very first time, mm -hmm. but then shifted again a few years later. So. I was in residency training with with young attendings who never had duty hour restrictions. So that meant they could work 120 hours, 130 hours. Right, right. There were no rules about it, right? That was those those olden days weren't really that long ago. I mean, it was right. just a, a few years ahead of me. And I'm I'm only 41. So I don't think I'm that old yet. I <laughs> no, mean, for, right. by medical standards, and hopefully I'm, I can keep working for a long time as a physician. You know, that's the goal. But um, I think I'm really lucky because I'm right in the middle of that. And I'm also so grateful in so many ways that I actually hit this rock bottom point. So honestly, kind of early on in my career, 
so that I could have this. It was a big wake up call for me personally to where, gosh, every it's got to change or there's no way I can keep working like this. You know, right, there's right. no way. And there's no way others around me can keep working like this. This is not sustainable. This is not safe. It's not good for the culture of medicine. Women are quitting regardless anyways. And, you know, like I don't have kids myself, but pretty much all of my closest friends do. And many of them have daughters and many of those daughters want to become doctors just like their mommies. And it breaks our heart, right? When we see what we go through now to think about our little girls or our little kids in general, having to go through that same thing. And so that's a lot of what drives me um, in the work we do is thinking about what, what shifts need to happen culturally in medicine. And it's gonna take generations. I, I fully know that I'm, I hope to be around for a really long time contributing in any way I can, but this is gonna take time. It's a culture that's just been this way you know, for a long time. Yeah. But I'm starting to see these themes show up in students who are saying, wait a minute, this isn't okay. Why are they expecting this of us? I'm like, right, right. you know, you have to understand this is how they were trained. This is all they know. And this is, it's hard to change as we get older, right? So, but it is, it is enlightening. And I think and it, it does inspire me very much to see the younger generation start to question. And I think that's where it has to start. And it is the older generation starting to listen? I think so. And, you know, here's the thing. I, um. I, I have personally not run into anyone who was so resistant. I've actually only really found allies everywhere I've gone among all different generations. And I, I think that when we be, we start talking about it from a, a standpoint of like, like just human to human, regardless of gender or, or background or age, right? Um, that we just connect and explain, this is what's happening. This is how I'm experiencing it. How are you experiencing it, right? And I've actually really been, um, I've been really touched and moved by the number of just really moving conversations and vulnerable and open conversations I've had with with people from an older generation than me, who have not been raised to be vulnerable or to ask for help or to share, and they're actually starting to open up. And that, to me, is it's a huge sign of of movement forward. Is it just kind of like introducing them to a, a different viewpoint that they just weren't familiar with or hadn't opened themselves up to? Yeah, I don't think they were exposed to it. Yeah. It's finally, this whole conversation has really come to a head, especially now uh, at this point in the pandemic. And if there's only, if it's the only silver lining to come out of this whole thing, it's that this whole burnout culture existed in medicine and it's well-documented prior to the pandemic, but it's, it's really been pushed to the extreme, right? Yeah. Currently now, and it, there's a there's a mo we're at a moment in time in history when this is finally on the forefront of everyone's mind. Like healthcare is on the brink of collapse, right? If we don't start to change things or make things better going forward, and that's not what any of us wants. So it's it's change is happening, and and change, unfortunately, is when we have emergencies that change happens quickly, right? And to me, that at least is a silver lining of, of all of what we've been going through, is if we can make this better and more sustainable and healthier for the entire workforce, not just physicians, right? Because the physicians impact, I mean, nursing burnout is a whole other topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and all of the, and then we didn't even start talking, get to talk about the data that's associated with severe physician burnout, right? Because if you have a physician, like if you have a doc who's even moderately burned out, you're two times likely or to, to experience a medical error 
Right. Like, and that's a big deal when we're under the knife, we're going under, under anesthesia. I mean, I, I'm an oncologist, so I prescribe like life-threatening drugs every day, right? I, I take my job very seriously. And so if I were to do something wrong and hurts a patient or inadvertently, like, I don't think I could ever live that down. So. Um, and, and then, you know, there's a big concern just about, you know, workforce retention, people leaving, but also, uh, you know, future generations of caregivers coming up, like whether, you know, are they going to look at this profession and say, you know, no, nah, I don't want to do that. It looks too, you know, it looks too difficult or it looks, you know, like something that just is too much. You know, is that, is that, you know, is that a concern of yours that, you know, that we kind of make this profession something that's more, a little more welcoming than it is now? Oh, that's completely, well, that's really what, I think that that really is the driving force behind every, the, the under, the why, the deepest why with a capital W for me, is that it, there was a there was a survey and it's been a few years, it was like 2013, actually I think it came out of Boston, where you are, uh, that surveyed several thousand physicians and 60% of them reported they would not want their own children to become physicians. And that was years ago. Right, I bet that was higher now, now, right? Probably, so. I mean, I wouldn't want my kid to be a physician now, now that I know what it's like, you know? I don't want my kid to go through that. And yeah be at risk for suicide and all this, I mean, physicians have the highest rate of suicide of any profession profession in the Western world. That, that says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, we, this is why, this is why I'm part of this work and I'm part of a movement. I'm just one piece and I'm so grateful for platforms like what you have and what you're a part of, because this is, we got to do it all together. There's no way any one of us is, is the solution. We got to all be doing our part to make that cultural shift and change so that things we do have a healthcare system to to go to in the yeah. future you know when you and i are needing when i'm 80 i need a good doctor and a good nurse <laughs> and a great pharmacist like all these same things right i yeah um we want to see the next generation thrive and and i think at the, at the heart of it is like we at least for me i we want to leave this world a little bit better than when we found it when we entered it for the next generation that's all we can do in yeah. our lifetimes so um, let's talk about coaching. You, you mentioned that coaching was very helpful for you, and now you've become uh, a coach. How did, how can that help um, physicians kind of you know deal with these issues? Oh yeah, thankfully we now finally are seeing coaching becoming incorporated into healthcare. It really wasn't until 2018 we have two two randomized controlled trials now showing the effectiveness of coaching on physicians in particular on burnout. Yeah, but it's been around. It's a tool that's been around in business for 30, 40 years. So we're, we're finally incorporating some of these tools that have been around for a long time. And it's, I think at its core, coaching is essentially just a way to self-reflect and build self-awareness and understand, our, understand essentially what's going on, on the inside of us and to have someone else be a safe sounding board for that and to really push us and challenge us. So it actually promotes self-growth and personal development and just self-awareness. To me, that's the greatest gift of, of coaching. Um, do enough people know about coaching to take advantage of it, or is it still something that you're getting the word out on? I think it's still pretty new in the healthcare field, mm -hmm. but it's growing rapidly, and I'm so grateful. And that's actually part part of why I want, I was so excited to take my role at work. I, I stepped into that not even a whole year ago. And part of my, my provider wellness director role at work is I get to coach our physicians and APPs. 
So it's like, and that's how I, that's how I want it to be. I want every provider. I mean, I would love every employee of healthcare of any organization, but in particular healthcare to have access to coaching. Uh, Cause it can be hard to find it. It's hard to, it can be expensive when it's outside of work. And I, I just want it to be, it's a, it's an awesome tool. And it, I, I would love, I mean, my dream is that every single physician, every single APP, you know, every provider has access to coaching, just like a lot of systems incorporate coaching for their executive leaders. I, I think it's such an effective tool and you don't even need a lot in those studies that were the randomized controlled studies that were published there. It was only 30 minutes of coaching once a month for six months. That's like nothing. Yeah. So not much, doesn't take much um, to really have a big impact. And from the leadership standpoint, uh, you know, are they starting to get behind coaching or is it still something that you have to educate leadership on to get that kind of buy-in to, to then kind of get it sort of, you know, uh, brought to the forefront for all employees to take advantage of? Yeah, I think it's growing. I'm so grateful to see it starting to be incorporated into healthcare systems. Um, I Our system is already doing that. And I I think what really makes a difference is when the reality is most people don't know what coaching is until we experiencing experience it personally, and then we recognize its benefits, right? But otherwise, it's like, what is this? And what's great is that the vast majority of, of executive leaders, well, I shouldn't say the vast majority, but a lot of executive leaders have access to coaching or, or, or have the possibility of being coached by someone internally or externally. And once once we experience it, then we start to understand, oh, this this could be really beneficial for others. And so and even in the state of Washington, where I'm at, I've actually heard of other other systems and gotten to know some of the other systems where they are trying to offer coaching as well. And I'm just so, so thankful and so glad to see that that is being incorporated at no additional cost to the employees. Mm. Um, so would you say that you're you're optimistic sort of about uh you know, kind of helping this burnout factor be reduced, uh, you know, through coaching and through other techniques? I I am. I think I'm an optimist at heart. I think I have to be <laughs> to continue to do this work, right? I also say that too, I'm a pediatric oncologist. And so I think those of us who do that field are drawn to it for a certain reason. And I think in deep inside, we are all, all optimists and hope mm. for the best, right? We want the best for others. I I am, um, I think it's gonna take, it's a multitude of factors. It's not just coaching. It's not just support. It's, it's, it's this whole concept of, well, this whole entire area of burnout is a huge topic, right? Mm. The 80% of burnout in healthcare are due to organizational systemic factors, not the end of, not the lack of, individual resilience. So we got 80% of burnout to work on as a yeah. healthcare yeah. system, you know, nationwide, not just not individual systems. This is a whole whole country problem. So I'm hopeful though, because it's, it's front and center. There's actually an ongoing burnout summit going on right now as we speak recording this, um, this interview. And I'm, I'm so glad this is not the first one we've seen this year. So that to me is a great sign in, in itself. Well, that's, that's great. Um, well, Tammy, uh, Dr. Tammy Chang, your new book is Boundaries for Women Physicians, Love Your Life and Career Medicine. It's out now. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. That wraps up episode 49 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Thanks to our sponsors, Gojo, the makers of Purell, Nuance, PDC, and the Inter-Society Accreditation Commission. 
You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.